ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਹਰ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਸੋ ਵੈਲਕਮ ਬੈਕ ਹਾਊ ਲੌਂਗ ਹੈਜ਼ ਇਟ ਬੀਨ 3 ਵੀਕਸ ਆਫਿਸ਼ਲੀ three entire years mate <laughs> so first we had the dr balwant singh tillo episode on banda singh then we had the guru nanak one and then we had love kapoor singh's descendant so yeah i mean if you measure off the uh episodes they left me pretty exhausted so i'd say yeah three years <laughs> <laughs> i'll take a lot of toll on you on your on your mentality as well yeah <laughs> yeah three damn years like promoting it getting those questions ready choosing the right questions talking with them explaining things to them and i mean i guess with the doctor the good doctor the thing was that he actually thought like you know i was a stu- we were all students and he was explaining it to us i mean one of the comments i got like and this was a comment which everyone said to me including you was that in the guru nanak one it sounded like that you know you had gone to sleep <laughs> Well, there was let's say such a large inflow of information all you could say was mm, yeah 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 hanji <laughs> hanji you can't forget the hanji anyhow um <clears throat> so today's discussion was you know it's going to be pretty uh i guess pretty visceral and uh memorable for the fact that we are doing it right on the heels of the 911 anniversary and i guess in a lot of ways 911 amplified the racism which turban bearing sikhs confronted worldwide before those events it yeah it amplified it existed before but it amplified it and i guess one of the one of the things about life is that you know if you look at gurbani of the guru granth sahib it's all majority is written in present tense and uh, that indicates to me that the battle between man and man's own self is going to continue until the end of time and that means that you know that if if we frame the concept of halemi raj mentioned in gurbani on those principles halemi raj has a political dimension where we as sikhs provide the necessities and basics of a fruitful life to our citizens who live under us but it does not mean that we provide a utopia where everything is perfect or well, this thing this word utopia people are never ever going to give it up there's going to be let's say quite a few factions across centuries even in the future who who will try their best to achieve it Mm-hmm. Well, we have quite a few people even today. The worship with us, but the worship with our ear sounds good. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. I mean, when Venice was about to, you know, when Venice went into decline, the city actually invited someone who they heard about, a man who they heard could make gold dust from, you know, ordinary dust. and this man came along this is around the 17th century i believe i might be wrong on the century and for seven years long he kept on fooling them he had all these technological devices he was just recycling the amount of gold he had and what happened was that after seven years the citizens came to him the leadership and they said look where is the gold you promised us where is the change in our fortunes and the man got insulted angry acted all high and mighty and they're like crap we have pissed him off and he said look in your bank accounts when they went to check those bank accounts they realized there was nothing in there that whatever they had he had looted it and he had run off now around this time he actually ended up in another kingdom the kingdom of mantua played the same trick except 3 years later the ruler had him killed straight away it was later revealed that this man a decade prior had actually grown up in venice he knew that the venetians had a fancy they weren't hard working anymore they were weak and sipid and they were la- uh, relying on dreams and he played to their fancies to loot them in the other kingdom the mantuans they were a bit more you know 
conversant with reality, they decided to put an end to him straight away. If you play to people's fancies, you can sell them a pile of shit and they will actually eat that pile of shit. Okay, we have done that in <laughs> this example. Yep. And the thing is that, you know, if you if you play to people's fancies, always incorporate an element of reality in there. Maybe make it an existing religion, an existing situation, like, you know, the downfall, the decline of Venice. If you do that sort of stuff, it only gives you a chance of becoming even more successful. Mm-hmm. How that actually is relevant to defending the Sikh identity today. So, you know, the fact is, we face a lot of dangers which we are familiar with. Uh, rewriting of our history, incorporating of our identity as some sort arm of another community, etc., etc. Now, these are battles which are being waged and in which we are emerging triumphant to some degree. But we need to, you know, take the long-term approach rather than the short-term, you know, little gains approach. You know, one big massive victory. On the other hand, though, the biggest, most decisive, most notorious dismantling of identity always happens from within. True. Now, John Glubb, if you remember who I'm talking about, people dismiss him as being a colonial, you know, archetype, but the man actually had a point. He described several fundamentals, I believe six to seven fundamentals of the decline of a political society. Interestingly enough, the unbridled intellectualism is what leads to the decline of a society. Mm, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. It's, it's very evident in the employment of Rome as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, our brain is a tool. We need to start using it for, you know, a fit, conducive purpose. But if we use it for its own sake, that's where we're going to have a problem. That's where we would actually... You, yep. Would you say directionless intellectualism? Yep. I'll say purposeless intellectualism. Yeah. Now... Look, personally speaking, the two things which stirred me up, that stirred up a hornet's nest inside my heart was a few weeks back I came across a website that claimed to be speaking for Sikh women and uh, and there they had reframed a bit of uh, what they believe Sikhi to be. Now, the narrative starts off. There are several individuals who claim to be lawyers or, you know, community community activists. And it turns out they're giving a brief introduction of themselves. Now, first one, I am so-and-so, born in XYZ part of India, migrated to so-and-so country. I'm from the Jut oppressive rapist caste and I'm a Sikh. (laughs) Okay, okay. Right? And then you don't find out much about this uh, individual. You find out more about their views on being judged. You know the self hatred. I'll get. I'll eventually get to the problem with self hatred, but that's that's the first point. Second individual, same story. Born in so and so oppressive caste. This is what my caste does. This is what we do. Blah 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 blah. We need to change the key. Now the fact is that in this entire narrative, paraphrase it as you will. Anyway, they are saying we are Sikhs, and we are against caste. Right? Mm-hmm. But more or less, they shoot themselves in the foot when they say we need to alter Sikhi because, on one hand, they're saying we are Sikhs, we believe in Sikhi, and then they say we need to alter Sikhi without providing a logical reason for why you need to change it, why you need to alter it, to make it more friendly. Now, <clears throat> the third the third introduction took the cake. For me, they took the cake. Look, <clears throat> What was the gender of the gurus? Man, what should I answer? I don't know. Just just answer it. What was the gender of the gurus? Male. Yep. Now, in those times, when patriarchy, when I'll say toxic patriarchy was at its height, 
a female standing up for females, was she going to be more effective or a male who said women and men are equal? Who was going to be more effective? Of course, a male. A male. There is no shame in saying that, that a male was going to be more effective. They went against the grain of society at the time. They provided a moral compass, you know, a new moral compass for us to follow. Another thing, we never followed it. Now, progressing on forwards, the Sikhs who stayed with the Gurus, who wrote down their head numbers, you know, most of these men came from diverse backgrounds. They were already trained by patriarchy, but they still met, you know, their uh, prejudice go, their, you know, bias go away. You know, all the things wrong with them, they surrendered it straight away. Now, but the allegation made against them on the basis of a few, now, please note this, on the basis of a few texts written in the late 18th and the 19th centuries, the allegations made on the basis of those texts are used to accuse those Sikhs of the Guru's time for being, and I mean, I, I do not know how to say the term. You know, cis, CIS, comfortable in your own skin? Unfortunately, I do know what this phrase means. Yep. There's a phrase related to it. I just can't say the name for the you know life of me. That exact term is saying that those men had some sort of a, I mean, okay, like these men, they're essentially saying we're dehumanizing of people who had, you know, changing sexuality and of other castes. So by that qualification, which they're providing themselves, this is a categorization they're providing themselves. There is no historic base for it. Now, we know texts can be altered, texts can be changed. We know that there are different people with different interpretations of texts and authors have a different reason for writing their texts. All that history is dismissed to claim this, that whatever those men wrote is rubbish. We need to stop looking at Gurbani from the historic lenses we have. We need to open it up and change it to make it much more better because some people today believe it is still stuck in the old times. So who exactly are these, quote-unquote, some people? Okay, look, let, let me provide another example. There's a account on Twitter, a girl whose uh, profile picture is in a miniskirt. No problem with that, right? And she raised the issue that, you know, two individuals getting an undercarriage kissed in front of the Guru Granth Sahib. Now, suddenly, suddenly the, the stupidity of this is that, the you know, the cancel culture brigade we have jumped right onto her straight away oh you're wearing a mini skirt and the lady actually insinuating this is one who claims she's fighting for woman empowerment but here she's criticizing another woman for wearing a mini skirt look at the bloody irony down here and there's another one who's saying we need to change our ceremonies look whatever a physical relationship between a couple we aren't the ones to enter the bedroom but you know there is a definitive line in our even see culture which says discipline and restraint if they want to show physical intimacy, they can do it inside the bedroom, but do they really have to do it inside the good room? Well, you know, there's cameras everywhere, and they want to do it for their own, their own personal selves, you know? It's, it's their day. It's a special day. So they don't, they, don't, they don't care what other people say or do. I mean, you and me, we both know we have enough experience to say that, you know, physical intimacy is not the end all of a loving relationship. It's just a part of it. Mm-hmm. Most cases, it lasts till the first child, and then afterwards, they decide, you know what, <laughs> let's just not do it anymore. Well, yep, one or two children, and today, that's the norm. Not even one. There are a lot of people who just say, no, there are too many people in the world, I'm not going to do it. And they will nudge you if you have more than two. I mean, the problem is that the media makes it out that, you know, men enjoy it, but it's, you know, pretty mentally depleting for men as well. Just, just putting it out there. But, but now listen, to justify that, it's being argued that we need to take the good things from Gurbani and leave the bad things behind and then, you know, use that to create a new form of Gurbani. Where the hell are their brains? What's stopping them from completely, <clears throat> sorry, what's stopping them from completely rejecting it and going their own way? If you See, don't now, like it, leave it. Yeah. Why, why do you want us to change it? 
See, now, a very interesting debate broke out on the, you know, Seek Reddit. <clears throat> and uh, the individuals involved were, you know, obviously there's a, we might say a straight Seek male, and then there's a trans uh, woman, I think someone who's changing over from man to a woman. Anyhow, this was the same debate they had for a long time, and I personally spot the Sikh male in question because the fingers at the end of the day, that individual had some pretty solid points, and one of the points they tripped the trans individual up on was that, you know, the point was they were saying that if two people are gay, they should be allowed to have an undercarriage as long as they're unretired. And obviously this led to the unpaid, you know, husband and wife uh, shovel being brought up. Now, you know, the problem is that people in the West today, the Western academia, is heavily involved in postmodernism. It's it's destroyed the Western curriculum. That the truth is only relevant to sometimes, but otherwise the truth can be, you know, uh, subject to being made a variable. You can change it. You can do whatever with it. And it's not a attack on the truth per se, but the essence of the truth, right? No, the truth is just an alternative explanation. Yep, the it's alternative not a fact. Yep. And religion has been the biggest, you know, post uh, <laughs> modernist uh, entity, in my opinion, even though most people do not consider this. But the thing you need to look at is that Dr. Mansingh Narankari was writes in his book in, you know, Sikhism that long time ago, Maharaja Ranjit Singh's shrine, Chandi was supposed to be the goddess. Today it's made the sword, then it becomes the goddess, then it becomes the sword. You know, the goalposts are shifted from, you know, one end to another, depending on what people believe in or, you know, what illusions they have to their fancies or, you know, how they're being played. Similarly, what we have today regarding the distinct Sikh identity is the variables are being altered straight away. It's argued that the Het Mariada is a modern construct, that it was made in the 1920s. If you look at the 1920 Mariada circulars, the, you know, uh, the volumes which show you how it was made, you look back, the gurus made the first Rehat Mariada, right? That's being dismissed. Secondly, the thing with the Tan, Pir Shabbat, is look, this is the same problem which Professor Saheb Singh had with the Frid Kotika, and this was this, that, you know, we have literal and metaphorical terms used in Gurbani. The Guru actually provides a way, a key for us to understand what is what. You know, so that indicates to us that there is some sort of a sure relevancy to the truth, that the truth has a dimension which we are supposed to believe in, which we are supposed to confirm to, rather than change those dimensions so the truth becomes different for everyone. Would you agree with that? Yes, quite quite a complex treatment, but yeah, that's the way it is. Okay, hook me on the Yep. Yep, right. And it's being changed yep. to, you know, that's been changed so many times, so many times rapidly, but the essence, the core essence of the message is that we're under one constitutive will, we can't go outside it. But if you want to provide a fancy to someone, you can say, well, you know, my uh, Babaji or, you know, my Santaji or etc., etc., they can alter Hukam because they can tell Maharaj to do a new Hukam. Here, Baba Nanak is saying there is no such thing. Similarly, on the Tanapir Shabbat, it's being argued that it refers to two souls, right? Mm -hmm. And the soul doesn't have an identity. And, you know, the Sikh individual in Christian, he said, okay, yep, the male, they're right. I agree with you. Sure enough, it doesn't have an identity. So the trans individual replies, so that means that two homosexual Amritaris can have an undercarriage. And you know what the now the individual asks? He says, that's all good, but can you tell us, can you tell me one thing? And they're like, what? And this is what the Sikh uh, male individual asks. Number one, why did the Gurus not make any mention of homosexuality in Gurbani? See, gender is mentioned in Gurbani, so gender has an importance because it is a part of Hukam. So the hmm. first thing is, gender is a part of Hukam. Gender couldn't be altered until we got modern technology today. If gender, you know, was, you know, if gender alteration was a natural uh, fact of life, there would surely have been a means to, you know, do it even biologically back the Guru's time. So point A, which arises out of that, was that the Gurus were aware of these practices, for example, you know, uh, 
transitioning from one gender to another in homosexuality, but they didn't want their Sikhs to follow it. That's why they didn't mention it in Gurbani. Or two, now this is the other interesting point down here, is this, that the Gurus were not aware of it. Okay, uh, I'll give you one example that's very different. Yep. <clears throat> and I think a lot of people might not, might not even know that it, that it happened. After the first French Revolution, that's in 1789, that, that's mm. when it started, yeah? Yep. So when they wrote the Constitution, they mm. didn't do what the Americans did, that is the Second Amendment. Yep. Because at that, at that time, they thought, and that's what I've read, that it's common sense that even the peasants should have weaponry. Mm. They failed to wrote common sense into the first constitution, and over time, it was lost. Hmm. The Americans did it, freedom of speech, you know, your second amendment and everything. They <clears> made it very <throat> simple, and they, they conserved it, well, to some degree today, they did. So, what's common sense today? Tomorrow it might become doubtful. And the day after tomorrow, it will become outright rejection. Because really, the reality is that the core essential principles are being changed about what common sense means. Now, what are we using common sense for? If people can't agree on that, if like, okay, so yeah, we use common sense to live our lives fruitfully and to their natural ends. However, if that principle is altered altogether to say that common sense is, you know, in pleasing someone else, Obviously, the definition of common sense becomes different, and you know, people who are entrusted in altering the definition, they can lead us astray any way they want. The word "man" today has no meaning. Hmm. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Similar with the term "woman." Ah, uh, you. Know. So yeah. So that's exactly as per my point. The very basics of common sense have been changed and altered. Mm-hmm. So when this individual asked these two questions to that uh, other individual, you know what the response came back was, well, that's, you know, now the fact is that first they tried altering Gurbani saying that, you know, the core essence of the text is a mortal message, which is love, love, and love, you know, the, you know, woke hippie stuff they give us. The second thing, however, was that, you know, the terms can be changed. That's what that individual was arguing. But the point is that if the terms are changed, the message changes as well. You see where the subtle, uh, the subtle, I guess, the subtle dodginess is? Yep, yep, yep. They are giving us a preconceived notion of what the Guru Granth Sahib is telling us. And at the same time, they're saying that the words can be altered, but that message can't be altered. Basically, they're saying that give us that free victory. Otherwise, we'll come after you full force. No, but the interesting thing was that they had nothing from Gurbani to answer, uh, to argue about after that, the trans individual, and all they said was that, you know, there are Sakis of Baba Nanak meeting queers and the uh, Pagets read queers, and of story ran away. So reinventing history. How desperate do you have to be to reinvent history in the name of inclusiveness? But at the end of the day, now this is something we also need to consider. Did anyone who come to Guru Gobind Singh Ji, he uh, allowed them into the castle, or did he actually judge their merit? No, uh, I would say a tough background check to begin with. Hmm. Tough background check? How much they could adhere a series of tests, and then they were allowed to be seized. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing is that in the name of inclusivity, we are denying meritocracy. I think uh, on, a, on our page, uh, I think on your, on your blog, you shared a link uh, that this yep. thing has happened before, and it happened in the declining stages of, of civilization. This has happened before. It's not new. No, no, that, that's right. That's right. Now, another thing we have down here is that, you know, interestingly enough, now we are talking about civilization, uh, civilization, uh, civil, civil, you know, decay, what you said. Man, I can't get my tongue around these words. Yeah, civilizational <laughs> decay. Civilization. Quite a few, but yes. I can't, pron- can't pronounce myself. Too yeah. <laughs> yeah, civilizational. Anyhow, the thing down here about the, you know, civilizational decay aspect down here also comes down to, you know, that why is it that all of a sudden now we are confronting these problems? Why didn't we confront them before? But then you look at it, the whole modern world is confronting all these issues at the moment. Now, 
all good to say that, you know, inclusivity, inclusivity, et cetera, et cetera. But we also need to look at the merit. Uh, one of the biggest problems which people have now with, um, on Twitter, Siki is always a, a being attacked for being casteist. Yep, I've read quite a few of those tweets and the debates. Yet if you turn around and ask them about their fates, they are very uh, quick to distinguish the line that, you know, the followers don't do what the faith says. Now, one of these uh, individuals who claims to be a Sikh and says his uh, fifth kakara is not a kirpan, but is a kalam, you know, he starts a lot of, uh, he incites people, provokes them to get a reaction from them, and he had this thing about, you know, uh, current Sikhs not listening to, you know, the narrative of the oppressed people, etc., etc. But you know what the thing they were trying to say, even what his main thrust is, this is a new form of politics that, you know, we rewrite history to say that, you know, we have a right to change Sikhi because Sikhi was made for us. But they really want to change Sikhi. Okay, uh, time for a thought crime. Yep. If you take victimhood away from a victim, what are they left with? Nothing. That statement should be enough. Yep. But this isn't sp spontaneous victimhood, you know, like a victimhood as in something has actually been done to them. This is a whole new bunch of victim Olympics. Now, <clears throat> biggest thing we need to look at is that when the Chotaka Lukara happened, the Vadaka Lukara happened, those individuals of the lower castes who joined Sikhi were set upon by their own fellow caste men. Yep. You know, so now for this, you know, scholar to make inferences that Maharaja Ranjit Singh was casteist, Hari Singh Nalawa was casteist, what they're really trying to do is sort of alter Sikh history for their own purposes, whatever those social or political purposes are. Let's okay, uh, not uh, let. Yep. What I just want to finish off on is let's not allow victimhood that you know these people are uh, victims or oppressed, etc., etc., to uh, you know blind us that we allow them to introduce those changes which we're actually uh, fighting against when they come from in other communities. Would you agree when I say that victimhood is a massive industry in the West, especially? It is. It is a massive industry in the West. Now, you know, the thing with this scholar was that a question was asked and he blocked the individual who asked him this question. And it was that, you know, Panjapiare, when Guru Gobind Singh Ji gave them the first Panjapiare, what was the bar he set for testing them? Was it the same for everyone or was it different that they are saying you're a judge, you will have a different uh, outcome. So I'm saying you're not a judge, you will have a different outcome. The outcome was going to be the same. The bar was the same, except the guru guided them through different methods. You know, maybe he took one or two years more for some of them, and maybe he took one year for one of them, but he made sure that the bar was the same. They qualified at the same level. There was no affirmative action, are you telling me? What I'm trying to say is, okay, look, if you go to a school and say that, you know, a X number of children need to have a quota set aside for them. A X number of children need to have a quota set aside in government jobs, etc., etc. You make it a constitutional mandate as well. The setting aside should be for, you know, those sections of society who are marginalized, and they should be given the help to actually get to the same level as the less marginalized as the leading, you know, communities of a society, so they actually get the same outcome as them. Because really what the essential thing they're saying, these marginalized communities are like, look, the outcome they're getting, we want the same outcome as well, because the bar through which they're passing, we want to reach the bar as well, because the bar is the final test which determines how successful we are. Yep. The bar shouldn't change, yes. Yep. Now, what these clowns are doing is they're saying that the bar should change for them, but not for anyone else. And that's the problem we have today with not all of them, but many of these are neo-modern liberals, feminists, folks, etc., etc. That look, the thing is that historically speaking, men haven't been kind to women. I wouldn't say that. Well, I mean, on one ground, if you look at it from one certain perspective, men haven't been kind to women. 
Now, there are women who are saying that we want to be equal to men. Fine, then you will get the same opportunities. But then there is a subsection of women who are saying that we want to oppress men for historical wrongs done to us. Well, I was born in the 1990s. How am I responsible for what happened in the 1600s? Exactly. And that's what we're seeing down here again as well, that these are, you know, it's all an egoistical, hubris-filled notion of taking revenge, which is being predated around under the disguise of rights. As you said before, a civilization is destroyed by internal decay. Internal decay. And the most biggest sign of this, now I'm not against academics or intellectuals, but the thing is they need to have a purpose, a direction, a goal. When you have none of that, you're actually ushering advances into society that society doesn't even need. And the corollary of that, the outcome of that, is you start getting to these points where you have these, you know, alterations in mentality which lead you on the path of internal conflict and a house divided never stands. Abraham Lincoln. Mm, that, that's the thing. Now, <clears throat> look at it this way. We're, you know, recently speaking, there was a massive outcry on social media when the Taliban took over Afghanistan, right? The decolonization yep. brigade, they came along and they said, look, Sikhs cannot differentiate between, you know, the Taliban turban and their own turban because that means the white oppressor has won. And they are living in the white oppressor's country. Yep, and to quote Osho, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> like, that that was literally my reaction. I won't, I won't uh, you know, hold back on this one. Thing being that if you look at it, okay, look, what do the Taliban represent? What the Taliban represent? Do the Sikhs represent that as well? The Sikhi, the same ideology as their one? No, oh, probably the similarity could be just 1%. That's it. That could be with anybody across the world. That, that could be with anyone across the world. And that's a, that's a related similarity. But to say that, you know, the white oppressor has won. So what's stopping you people from leaving the white oppressor's country and going to settle in Afghanistan? I actually had this, this, this debate with, uh, let's say, a university educated relative of mine. And uh, yeah. I said, well, do you think that these European countries are very, very bad historically? You say, yeah, well, yeah, I would agree with that. So why are you still living there? Did your parents make a mistake when they moved to a, a country of white racists? And she didn't answer, okay, if your parents don't want to move, why don't you move back? No, she likes what those white racists have built, and the life they have given her, the quality of life they've given her. She's not going to give that up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and they, well, of course, they changed the topic, and you know, that's it. Let's get out of there, you know? And the virtue signaling is amazing. The virtue signaling is amazing, except the fingers that they leave the Afghan Sikhs out of their discourse straight away. It's not even just that. When you say that we shouldn't differentiate ourselves, aren't you providing legitimacy to to the Taliban that they are on equal footing as the rest of the let's say civilized world? That's the thing. That's the thing. They're legitimizing the Taliban. They're legitimizing the Taliban by telling us we can't differentiate between turbans. Now, another thing down here is that if someone asks that, look, why don't you just say you're not a Muslim? Oh, we can't because we are Sikhs and uh, we can't throw another community under the bus. How the hell is that throwing another community under the bus? And guess who's driving that bus? You know, the thing is, look, if you want to combat Islamophobia, it's by rights, your it makes sense that you say, look, I'm not a Muslim, I'm a Sikh, we don't believe in the same stuff as them, we definitely don't believe in what the Taliban espouse, this is what we believe in, but hey, we should all be a united community for a stronger nation that the horrors of 20 years ago don't occur again, that no one feels alienated or left out, everyone is a proactive member of society, we speak for everyone. Essentially, you're speaking for the racist. Essentially, you're speaking for the victim of racism. You're trying to make a better place in this world. Obviously, you will never reach a utopia, but it's more about a, you know, a statement as well as backing up that statement with actions. But down here, you see, for all their talk of avoiding the us versus them mentality, it becomes a us versus them mentality straight away. Okay. Uh, okay. Answer me this. Yep. If they say that we can't differentiate between our turbans, that mm. the, the exact tweet that I've seen, mm. 
are they not going to say that we can't even have our own gurdwaras because there have been attacks on mosques and there have been attacks on gurdwaras it's coming to that it's coming to that the amount of political correctness is just plain stupid down here like plainly stupid how long before they turn around and target Sikh history flying and nishans have out outside the gurdwara let's say different shades as from a mosque let's say yep are, are they going to be against that See, the way their understanding of Sikhi is honed, for all their talk of being scholars, for all their talk of being lawyers, for all their talk of being leading intellectuals, or whatever the hell they claim it is, it's pretty much that, you know, we're Sikhs, and Sikhs mean you can come and bend us over the table. And we'll do it willingly. And we will do it willingly. Actually, we will actually bend over ourselves, and anyone can come and, you know, do whatever the hell they want to us, to our faith, to our identity. Yeah, and the table is called Rainbow and Rabbit in Sunshine. Yep, but <laughs> the way it was being described is that, you know, Guru Gobind Singh Ji wanted, you know, Khalsa warriors who could differentiate, you know, who could stand up for themselves and for others, and who do who did not fight white rainbows. Well, yeah, I'm glad we're having this, this conversation. Hmm. For me, the way I see it is that People have, let's say, certain desires, certain motiv- certain motivations, certain agendas, and they could use their Sikh heritage <clears throat> to fulfill that agenda. They might, might have zero loyalty to Sikh people or Sikhi in general, but they can use Sikhi to further their own agendas. Amazingly enough, here's another thing which needs to be addressed down here is that when the Manmeet Corps case happened, most of these individuals were saying, do not raise your kids to be groomable. What in the name of all that is holy is a groomable child? Uh, man, I don't, I don't know. It's like if, if you live in a crime riddle, let's say, neighborhood, raise your children to be bulletproof. How do I do that? It's like saying that, you know, look at the poor criminal. He's doing what all criminals do. Look at the poor chap and along comes, you know, this girl and he's just forced to groom her. Why was the girl down there for him to groom? Yep, it's the girl's mistake for roaming around fr- freely with her body. There there was another thing. Now, you know, obviously, when those Sikhs from Afghanistan landed in India, the men came out at the front, the women were at the back with the children. There were many, you know, complexities. We can't say, you know, one brush tars everyone, except a video of that had to be shared by a self-professed doctor, a self-claimed doctor, to say, oh, I will never get over the lack of women in Sikh social spaces. I mean, lady, what the hell are you trying to do here? So the refugees running from one country, their own country, to India, and coming out of the airport, it's a social space for for her. I admit it. We have a caste problem. We have a problem that where we deride women and mistreat them, which is against what the Guru said. But the way these people are trying to make it out to be, they want an opportunity for revenge. They want nothing else. You know, look look at the biggest claims they're making that, you know, you guys are the gatekeepers of Gurbani, you don't let us into the punt, you don't do this, you don't do that. Well, the thing is that based on the conventions we have, you know, we're saying we're not going to change those conventions, but you are the ones going around saying, fuck that hit, Maria. You know, what are you guys trying to do? Let us in so we can destroy you from the inside. You know, destroy you from the inside. Now, <clears throat> look, it's a proven fact psychologically that kids like to rough and tumble with their father figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's a proven fact. Girls and boys, when they're young, like to do it. They don't like to do it with their mothers. The psychological difference down here is that, you know, the father provides a futuristic horizon for the kids. The mother prepares the kids for that futuristic horizon. There is a subtle difference, but there is a unity of purpose as well. Now, to claim that we don't need fathers or that toxic masculinity is, uh, you know, producing the notion of marriage or marriage is a, you know, product of toxic masculinity and then save your Sikhs and then you deny the need for marriage, which pretty much goes against the, you know, fundamentals of an undercarriage and then to come back and claim you want an undercarriage. I mean, where the hell does the hypocrisy end? Well, as I said, if you take victimhood away from victim, they're left with nothing. On on the notion of victimhood, now that 
you know, particular website which had all those things written about jucks. Can we say all jucks are genocidal like they're claiming to be? If jucks were genocidal, then how come other people still exist? Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> another thing down here you need to consider this is that, you know, self-hatred has become a big thing in the West. Oh, man, that's an understatement. It's it's just the fact down here that there are people who seem to have lesser mental intelligence or lesser emotional intelligence who are going around claiming that, look, um, we think our forefathers done have done something to your forefathers and we want to apologize, we want to kiss your feet, we want to become a part of your culture, we want to become a part of your religion. You know, the virtue signaling has taken an extreme, uh, extreme position in their minds. Our idiots are letting them in, not, you know, realizing that these are just fickle-minded people who can turn away from us anyway. They're fair-weather sailors, fair-weather friends. And from there, the victim hatred becomes pretty big. I'm white. I hate myself. It's genocidal, etc., etc. The fact is that because you're white, your, you know, society has ushered into the freedom of thought. You know, there are positive elements to your culture. That's why you're able to say these things and address the fact head on that your forefathers did something evil as well as good. Uh, okay. Uh, I think uh, what you know when Shashi Tharoor did that debate at Oxford. Yep. Oxford Union. Hmm. That video went completely viral, and of course in the diaspora communities as well. Hmm. And I asked the same relative that if those things were so bad, then why are you still living in the country of the oppressor? Same, same question. I didn't agree. I didn't disagree with Shashi Tharoor over there. Mm. I was calling her hypocrisy out. No, no, I agree with that. Fundamentally speaking, the thing is, what are you doing to change those countries? History has already been. You can make the future better, but you know this self-hatred is not going to lead to anything productive or anything conducive. Now. You know, this is why I say white people should not apologize for the past. You have to remember that vast majority of white people were dirt poor, let's say, even after the Second World War. They were just like us, except they were white. I mean, look at Australia and New Zealand, white people mistreating white people. Depending on which sports team you support. (laughs) Or which sport you support. League or union. Yep. And then on the other hand, you've got to look at it from this way as well. Self-hatred gets you nothing, but it's become a bit of a, it's become a commercial brand that if I hate myself, if I hate my past, if I hate my, you know, country, if I hate my society, my community, even if I hate my faith, because they do hate the faith, they just want to change it. That's why they want to change it. Well, here it comes down, all boils down to this again. It's only for selective brownie points for this fade of trying to up yourself. Virtue signaling, yeah, true. Brownie points, yeah. I mean, Katie, it's, 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 yeah. it's, it's the exact same thing that, uh, that I've seen that some uh, white folks in America they're learning Spanish, because they said that this country was settled by Spanish-speaking people. We conquered it; it belonged to them, so we must assimilate into their culture. I mean, on the other hand, if you look at Katie Cien, her rubbish books, which you know claim that colonialism is the root cause of the narrative of conflict between Sikhs and Mughals. She pretty much insinuates that that's a fake history from the Sikh end. Reality, it's all British-inspired colonialism, which brought this along. These people enjoy the fruits of colonialism. Fine, then you can call it its evils, but they have to blame colonialism for every damn fault with, you know, in today's current societies. Because the thing is, the truth is, they know that intellectuals have done nothing in the past century to make the conflict better. So why not just blame the past altogether? Well, I would say that's the easy way out. You know, this, I mean, Sien's been caught out many times for her lies. She's just been pushed around. I mean, you know, there is a height of Bashami involved in being an intellectual whose works have been exposed so many times. But again, the thing is, the self-hatred narrative works wonders for you. Hmm. I mean, coming I, 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 up I, I, with a coming up with labels like Baji Twitter, Victim Olympics, all this on social media—that's what these people thrive on at the end of the day. You know, they try insinuating they're the victims, but they try victimizing other people. And uh, <clears throat> on this account, one thing down here is the decolonization thing, which I wanted to touch. 
Decolonization essentially was the process by which a country got rid of its colonial government, right? We could say that, yes. And uh, Priyam Veda Gopal at, uh, in the UK, she's actually a professor at the, one of the leading in, uh, European universities. Mark my words that in the future, she's someone who will be pretty prominent, maybe famous or infamous, depending on what she does. But she made a very uh, relevant statement that, you know, decolonization should also include a study on why natives joined a foreign force to suppress and oppress their own kind. A very important point, and uh, th this isn't talked about enough, or the it's rarely yeah. talked about. And the decolonization narrative among Sikhs funds that this is pre-colonial, this is post-colonial, goes from texts all the way to our current reaction to things nowadays. You know, this is pre-colonial, post-colonial, and that's what people were laughing about that most of this lot won't discuss grooming because grooming is post-colonial in their eyes and not pre-colonial. Oh these people can't be afterwards. See, and the way this started, the way this decolonization movement started was that, you know, at the end of the day, there were many individuals and in universities abroad who were studying about the West uh, and all that stuff. And, you know, the Western universities weren't offering a comprehensive, you know, curriculum on their... Uh, Indigenous histories. Mm -hmm. And obviously we had the, you know, I hate myself and my people type professors come along and start offering decolonization. Now, while decolonization stood as a study of the factors which led to the independence of a country, how, you know, colonization changed the world, it was all good. In South Africa, decolonization really meant that you got rid of those oppressive educational institutes and universities which didn't allow black people to succeed. It, it happens. When a country is getting up on its feet after an invasion, it's going to have these little struggles, you know, that you need to get rid of these old institutes. But at the same time, you need to ask yourself, is the system bad or the people running the system bad? And if that means you want to change the system, then are you inviting an unnecessary conflict and depletion of resources which you can do without? Depletion of resources, then? Good question. Yep. So, it was all fine while decolonization focused on that. But when, you know, I think his name is Akela, the uh, Caribbean-African scholar in the Akala. UK. Yeah, Akala. Well, he's not a quote-unquote scholar. Yep, so when these people came along, that's when the problem became, because they had to start, you know, that... Uh, our uh, African kings discovered America, our society discovered these and these modern inventions, our society discovered those and those modern inventions, we were leading the world. So how is it? And, you know, it gave them a sense of superiority. It was all about supremacism. It gave them a sense of pride that, you know, we can claim that, you know, we weren't always beaten by uh, people who buffed once a year with smelly sticks and smelly gunpowder. We weren't beaten by those people. But the thing is, you can't change history. Let's let's face it, the Sikhs lost to the British by internal intrigue and by exterior intrigue. What do we gain from saying that our civilization was more uh, you know, advanced than their one? Uh probably let's say some satisfaction. <laughs> That's all I can gather. It's it's pretty much a way of saying that, you know, we were superior to you. Let us do what we want to in your own countries. That's what it really is. Kind of, yes. You know, I mean, other than that, decolonization today has become a, you know, exercise in apologia and supremacism. That's what I'll say. Uh, true. You know, so... Coming back to this entire essential point, so now the way all this ties together is that decolonization, that, you know, we had no conflict in the past, the British brought the conflict. Remember that, point one. Point two, differentiation is a colonial exercise and we're only uh, giving, uh, you know, brownie points to the white oppressor, points we can keep ourselves if we differentiate between ourselves and another culture. Point, you know, that's point two. Yeah. Point three that we had, you know, institutes which we need to restore. Point is, no one seems to agree on what those institutes were. When they say to restore, what does that mean? 
you know, now one of the things you see in the decolonization context is that, you know, we had a political power that, you know, maybe a Kosare or hermaphrodites were given, you know, prominent positions and kingdoms. It didn't happen all the time. But the way it's being made out today is that, you know, we had prominent positions, make us your leaders or else. Mm. Understood your point. So you see where this goes to. And at the end of the day, when they come up against the obstacle of the Sikh identity, then it becomes we need to dismantle the identity at the roots. <laughs> now, Rehat Mariada is made out to be a modern construct. Gurbani's words are made out to be relevant to the time, and the essence of those words is being provided by the person who's arguing that the words themselves don't hold any relevant meaning today. So if my message is to be carried forward into the next millennium, how do I do it? You don't. Well, if the words are gone, then my message is gone. You know, that's why society is adrift. It's atrophying today. It's rotting away today because there's no direction to society. All the direction has been taken away. You know what's the difference between a rebel and a revolutionary? You tell me. I'm paraphrasing, but a rebel seeks to destroy. A revolutionary seeks, seeks to replace the current system with something else. Officer. Right. Yep. Now those people, you make a relevant point, and I'll touch upon this point now. You know those people who are saying that thing about Sikhs and just being oppressive, etc., in the caste context? There are quite a few. Yep. They're using the same line which was used for hundreds, thousands of years on the subcontinent and it did nothing because it was playing right into the enemy's hands. Hmm. Right? So if someone gets up, says, I'm a Sikh, we are caste uh, tyrants, we are oppressive, we are genocidal maniacs, says this about the entire Sikh community, there's going to be divisions among the community and they're going to be shouted down. There's no unity. And who wins? The people who are actually standing there influencing the community to do everything, you know, which is against the community's core ideals. Yep, subversion is the correct term. Yep, so it's becoming a slogging match. Initially, this was how the Pagts operated, the Pandra Pagts operated as well. You know, Pagt, Ravidas, the Janyu, it was anathema to the higher caste that a low caste were a Janyu. But then on the other hand, the Janyu still held a relevancy down there. And look how they altered everything after Pak Ravidas died. That Pak Ravidas went to the king's court, ripped open his chest and showed that in Satyug he used to wear a Janyu because he was a Brahmin and due to some past transgression he was born as a Janyu. Out of all that, the Janyu still had its sanctity intact. Yeah, yeah. So, Baba Nanak comes, he sees what the system is, that it's a slogging match. You punch him, he punches you. You punch him, he punches you. Why don't you get out of the system and create a new system? It takes a lot of hard work. Yep, you know, by refusing the genuine stepping outside caste, he uppercut the, you know, orthodoxy in one hit. At nine years old, he did. And now we look at it in the Sikh context, and I find that we have that caste problem. Why aren't we doing the unexpected through Gurbani? I, mm, I don't think that the caste issue is like the way it's portrayed to be. It exists. Nobody denies that. Hmm. But the point I'm making again and again, if you, if you say there are people who exist, that caste is their only identity. If you take it away from them, they'll be left with absolutely nothing. If, if, if you are playing that I need to have a reservation in Kora, if you're going to the to the government office to play, take a certificate that I belong to this in this so-called lower caste, aren't you painting yourself as a, as a victim to begin with? You're just furthering, you like, you're furthering the yeah. tyranny, really. You're furthering the tyranny. If you don't believe in the caste system, just refuse to recognize yourself as one to begin with. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why we're the label at all. Yep. Now, many Sikhs will tell you that, you know, okay, they're not transphobic, they're not transphobic, they're not homophobic, but they've drawn a line based on Gurbani. This can happen, that can't happen. However, if individuals are still going to push the notion that they should be allowed the access to those ceremonies, 
But at the end of the day, obviously, there's going to be a losing side and a winning side, and the losing side will cry fail and say it's a victim. I'll give you an example, and I think you can Google it very easily. Yep. If a, if, if a person decides to be a victim, you can't stop them. No, you can't. Just Google, air conditioning is racist. <laughs> Jesus Christ, really? You can Google it. The listeners can Google it. If a person decides that they are a victim, anything can be used to further their agenda. I mean, if the Woke Brigade are really trying to erase history by pulling down statues, you know, or by destroying books, burning books, now they're after Tintin as well. If they really think they can create a perfect history, then what's going to be in the future when a tyranny arises in the future? How will they erase that? I think I think George Orwell made it very clear that like the whole process were sorry, George Orwell or somebody else. Uh, there's a revolution, and the people who carried out the, uh, the revolution are replaced immediately because there's a new, let's say, a new committee or a new subsect of the party which emerges, which is more radical than the one that carried out the revolution. Uh, a decade down the line, a third one, a third one comes up. Yeah, no, 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 you have lost animal. your way. You have become corrupted. A third mm-hmm. one comes up. A fourth one comes up. Yeah, Orwell's Animal Farm. That's the book, and I mean. All the Marxist and totalitarian ideologies we have today, they started off as utopians, trying to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And they all, what did they devolve into? Fascism. It, it almost always does. You know, power corrupts, it almost always does. If someone comes and is being racist to me, saying that I'm a Muslim, I have full right to say, no, brother, I'm a Sikh. I'm not a Muslim. But if you think that you are cannon fodder for somebody else, then it's your duty to not recognize yourself as a Sikh. Differentiation doesn't mean throwing anyone under the bus. Now, when that question was asked, you know, obviously, like, I'm, I'm trying to skirt around names down here. I'm trying to stay away from them. It's getting hard. When the question was asked, why didn't you say you're not a Muslim? And he says, we can't throw another community under the bus. Think about it this way. If they don't say we are a Sikh, and someone goes in, that individual who's been racist to them goes and attacks another Sikh. Whose hands are the blood, is the blood on? Ah, good question. You know, if you look at the Gurus, the Gurus always said, Nah, I'm Hindu, nah, Muslim. The differentiation, differentiation right there. Yeah, differentiation, right but, there. The, but if they had to fight for the, some of the rights of those communities, if they saw them as being conducive to the Sikh agenda, they would do it straight away. But we seem to have this problem where we want to invite the world's whole troubles on us. You know, racism can't go away. And, you know, at the end of the day, this was like that, you know, debate on Discord, that individual from the United Nations who was telling us that we need to go and help out, you know, anyone who's being that we need to go into Muslim houses, we need to go and sort out their grooming problem for them. And that's why we asked him, so, you know, if they don't see it as being a problem, if they see it as being a cultural norm, are we going to accept it? Then he just, you know, was silent. I I think uh, we talked about this. How do you differentiate between a Sikh who either converted to Sikhi or, let's say, is born slash raised in the West? And a liberal, and I'm using this term very loosely, or let's say a woke person who just happened to have Sikh ancestry or Sikh parents. Obviously, to the remember, they put up on their social media. Remember, remember, I'm taking this liberalism, this, this woke, let's say, movement as a religion itself. It is ideology. It's an ideology and a very destructive one. Now, the thing which is being told to us is that, you know, obviously there is a lot of Islamophobia after 9-11. It was there before 9-11. Thing is, let's move on and find better ways to confront it rather than denying our own identity. It's up to the Muslims to do that. It's not our job. Mm-hmm. No, that's right. That's right. That's, the Muslims that's... are more than capable 
of defending their own, own identity and their own ideology. I was discussing this with a bunch of upcoming Sikh leaders in Canada yesterday, and that's what they said to me as well. Sapchidem. We can't pull the finger for other communities all their lives. It's not our job. You are Muslims. You are, let's say, you have more numbers than us. You have all your own sovereign countries, more than 50. You got, well, you have, you know, very powerful Muslim countries. It's, and you have, let's say, a thousand year interaction with the European world. It's up to you. And, okay, so let's, let's look at it this way. When they legitimize the Taliban by saying we can't differentiate between turbans, are they also saying that they espouse what the Taliban stand for? Well, they can answer this today or tomorrow. They'll have to. Do they espouse gang rapes, terrorism, war crimes? Do they espouse all that? Nothing. They, they might even support that the Taliban invite to just you know, go into the city they have just conquered and just kidnap girls and marry them, which is very similar to grooming. You know, this was one of the conversations I had with someone, and, you know, Bratan Singh Pangu writes something in the Gurbant Prakash, Logan Kayevo of Tarjan Dennis of Muslim This is, you know, when what people were saying about Bandar Singh Bahadur when he was in the Punjab. Many innocent people got killed in these wars, the Sikhs say. It's the reality of life. And, uh, you know, it was almost borderline genocide. It was almost borderline genocide at the time. And then at that time, what we got told is that, you know, that. I will be very disappointed one individual said that if, you know, Bandar Singh Bhattu do a genocide, but, you know, it's not about a genocide, not about a borderline genocide at all. It's about, you know, the reality of war. A lot of people have got absolutely no idea about how a military operates, how a polit how politics operate, and especially how a pol politician, let's say, or a mil military leader operates during a time of, let's say, conflict. Or extreme examples, I would say. How do you differentiate between a guerrilla fighter and a non uh, and a civilian in such a situation? Oh well, a civilian has got a halo on top of the head. Thing being, you need to stop the otherwise the other sort of stuff which is happening, like you know, you know, finding arbitrary war crimes on you know arrested civilians. You can stop that, but in the middle of war, what you can see, you can stop. If you can't, you can't be held like uh, you know, uh. A culprit for that. It's reality, but we are trying to distort reality and bend it to our own will. That you know, if we do this, we will have a good result for everyone. It's just not really reality. It's utopianism. Good results for everyone, <laughs> and the results never arrive. Yep, and that's what I asked one of the work individuals. I told him, "Look, what are you trying to achieve?" And he said, "A perfect society." And I said, "Also, how are you going to achieve that perfect society?" He said by cancelling everything we think is imperfect. So what is imperfect? So so they will decide what's in, imperfect. And their perfect society could be a nightmare for other people. There you go. That's the problem with the utopianism. Okay, I'll give you an example. Both our families came from, let's say, the wrong side of the border in 1947. Yeah? Yep. yep. In my case, we didn't even receive our own land. Hmm. We literally started from absolute zero. The only clothes we were wearing on our body is what we were left with. Hmm. So, you know, kept working hard, you know, put your head in, devote seats, everything. Today we are in a good position. Hmm. Should the fruits of the hard work of my father, my grandfather be taken away because some person says that I am privileged because I have something under my name. No, hell no. Because, because, because let's say I grew up in a comfortable household and that's, that, that's privilege. Or that my property should be redistributed because other people chose to not have any. No. I mean, to to be, let's say, quote unquote, oppressed, it's a ter terrible experience. And I mean, people who are really oppressed. But I think uh, Kanye West said this, and uh, well, <laughs> I'm kind of surprised I'm, I'm quoting this. He said about slavery that if you fail to do anything about it, it it became a choice. 
that's a pretty hard thing. Like, oh, yeah, and I was like, okay, this guy has a point. The guy's an idiot, of course, but he has a point. If you haven't oppressed for the past 2,000 years, and if you have failed to do anything about it, it's a choice. Isn't giving up a choice? Mm-hmm. That's that's a pretty bitter reality. That's a pretty brittle mental attack from the blue. You have to remember that us Sikhs never gave up. We went through unimaginable horrors, but we never gave up. Weren't we, we kept, oppressed? We kept our identity intact all the time. We were oppressed, we were genocided, we were persecuted, our heads were sold. But did we become victims in our own in our own hearts? No. No, we didn't. And that's how we survived. The thing is that if we want to defend our identity against the cancel culture we have today, we need to put our foot down and make it known that this is the line in the sand. Cross over it, we won't entertain you any further. Well, if their agenda is just destruction, then how do we save ourselves from them? That should be that should be the question that we should be debating today. Where there is a relevant, you know, issue, we should grapple with the issue, tackle it head on and see what solutions we can come up with. But when the agenda really becomes from the other side to suppress you, you're in your full right to fight them back. Accusations aside. Accusations aside. Because they know they're about to lose. That's why they start throwing these things back uh, at you, gatekeepers, uh, CISO, patriarch, etc., phobic. They start throwing those at you straight away, even before the debate starts, because they know they're going to lose. <laughs> it's actually quite funny, because sometimes, uh, you, you know, there are, let's say, some very edgy type of comics. Yep. And uh, you see a lot of stuff on, on social media, people just posting memes and stuff. And there's a meme that, uh, I forgot, it's, it's some kind of a Japanese cartoon. It's, it's, a, it's a meme with three pictures on it. And one guy yep. says, you are a racist, and he throws a punch. The other guy blocks the punch, and he says, I know. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then <laughs> the war Russia has lost all its power. Your magic spell hasn't worked. Try again. Well, the thing is that if they're arguing that words do not have that, uh, you know, words aren't permanent, so how come the word racist is permanent? The same people believe that race doesn't exist. It's a social, social construct. They're lost in their own little worlds. Exploit their weak spots. Stand up for yourself. That's all for today. That's all for today. Why would you go cancel? Why would you keep for that?